0: Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace, and they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. If I can use Angie and enjoy it, so can you. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Judging Freedom. Judge Andrew Napolitano here. This is my new podcast where I get to think however I want and say whatever I think and chat with uh, friends and foes. Today, a friend, a longtime uh, colleague from the political wars and from my days uh, at Fox News, KT McFarland, who's a longtime stable rock uh, of Republicanism in the Northeast and throughout Uh, the United States, an expert in defense policy and foreign policy, and a wonderful and dear person. KT, what a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Judging Freedom.
1: I can't think of a better person to spend a beautiful sunny afternoon with than you. Thank you. Oh,
0: you're so kind. So you and I have a mutual friend, and I didn't realize he was a mutual friend. His name is Jeff Shepard. Now, for those of you who don't know who Jeff Shepard is, listen to this. Jeff Shepard was the youngest lawyer in the White House legal team under President Richard Nixon. And one of his jobs was to listen and transcribe the infamous Oval Office tapes. And in doing that, he concluded, that Nixon did not know about hush money and did not know about cover-up until after it was already done, that it was orchestrated by John Dean, and it was orchestrated by John Dean to preserve and protect the reputation of his then fiancé, who would eventually become his wife. Jeff Shepard wrote a book about it, and the book was turned into a play called Trial on the Potomac, which presumes that Nixon did not resign and, in fact, was tried for uh, impeachable offenses. And the audience gets to vote as to whether he was uh, convicted or acquitted. Do I have all this right, KT?
1: <laughs> you bet. I was there. It happened exactly the way Jeff said. And I'm so excited that you were part of that project. Well, I was one of the, the producers. Richard Nixon.
0: Yeah, I was one of the uh, producers, minor producers. And I was the legal consultant on the play because the, the majority of the play, I'd say 90% of it, is a trial before the United States Senate presided over by an actor playing Justice, Chief Justice Warren Berger, which is who was the Chief Justice at the time. And the audience sits where the members of the United States Senate would sit. Well, you introduced Jeff to me at Fox probably 10 years ago.
1: Oh, and easily. Before, yeah, easily. Be, at least 10, yeah.
0: Before that, you gave me his book. And when I met Jeff, I said to him, and he reminded me of this, now this is 10 years ago, this is not our work this summer. Jeff, if half of what's in this book is true, you're gonna turn history on its head. And that half expanded. Uh, is what's in the play. The play was very successful. It was off-Broadway for five weeks. It's gonna be brought back off-Broadway again, starting in the spring in a larger theater, right in the heart of the theater district in New York City with much of the original uh, cast. So every time I worked with Jeff on this show, which was probably 10 or 15 days during the summer, I thought of Katie McFarland. (laughs)
1: Two great legal minds, Jeff Shepard and Judge Napolitano, and both are people who come to it with a clean slate. You know, you weren't biased. You didn't have a political axe to grind. And I was so excited that you got involved with this project because it really is, like you say, turn history on its head. Yes. And thank you for doing yes. It.
0: Yes. And, and I believe in examining and re-examining history. Sometimes alternate history turns out to challenge the myths uh, that all of us have been taught Uh, To believe. Uh, One last thing before we get on to the state of the Republican Party today, seen through the eyes of KT McFarland. The actor who played Richard Nixon (laughs) is the comedian Rich Little. Now, Rich Little, who is Canadian by birth and who, when he became an American citizen, was asked by the federal judge presiding at the citizenship program to take the oath of citizenship in the voice of John Wayne, which he did. Rich Little does a better Richard Nixon than Nixon himself did. I mean, it's absolutely marvelous, marvelous imitation of Richard Nixon. Not just the words, but the body language and the body movement and the harumphs and the jowls and the five o'clock shadow and all that. All right, Um, to the reason we're here. Well, the reason we're here is to reunite an old friendship. But tell me what your opinion is of the state of the Republican Party today, not how poorly Biden is doing, but the state of the Republican Party. Is Donald Trump a uniting force or a divisive force? Do honest, intellectual, serious Republicans like you really think that Trump won and Biden lost, or are they going to get beyond that?
1: let's just get beyond it. I, I don't know. I'm not an election expert. I wasn't underneath the table. I just know that Joe Biden is our president now and that we need to look forward as a party. You know, if you're so busy looking in that rear view mirror, you never look forward. And this is a unique opportunity, not just a political opportunity for Republicans, but a real necessity for a very different view than the far progressive, I think, loony left that seems to have taken over Washington, the media, Hollywood, big tech. And I think it's a really important time for conservatives, Republicans to make their case, lay their case out before the American people, let the American people decide. So not only only is it an opportunity as a Republican, I'm thought of getting back in the House and Senate, getting the White House in 24. Those are all exciting things for me, but I think we have actually a national responsibility because we're in a very strange and difficult time right now. And if we don't get it right, we don't get another do-over because we have a foreign adversary, China, who plans to replace the United States within the decade as the dominant world power and then totally rewrite all the rules of order to our great disadvantage. So we have a chance to get this right and we better not screw it up.
0: Some of your friends, and and we both know them uh, from Fox, and I'm speaking of the leadership in the House of Representatives, refuse to say publicly... You know, Kevin McCarthy. You know, Steve uh, Scalise. These are members of the Republican uh, leadership refuse to say publicly that Donald Trump lost and Joe Biden won. I mean, how much longer is that nonsense going to go on? Or are they afraid of the former president that they might find the slings and arrows of his tongue aimed at a target on their backs?
1: You know, I, I guess I don't look at it in those terms. I mean, they're figuring out their own thing. That's them. But for me, and I've talked to President Trump since the election, and I've said it publicly on the airwaves and, and shows like yours, that I think it's time to move on. Don't look back. And the, and the people in the Republican Party, when I talked to President Trump right before his coming out party. Uh, he spoke at CPAC a year ago in Orlando. And or nine months ago, and and I said, look, you know, people want to hear the Republicans and we're at sea. We don't know. I mean, who is going to lead the party? What are the policies that are going to lead the party? We're now being trashed in every way, economically, foreign policy, morally, culturally, socially we need leadership. And what we need is somebody who comes forth and says, here's the plan. Okay, so is take the house, take the Senate. So what I told President Trump and what I've said publicly is, I wanna see President Trump on the trail. I wanna see him go choose your candidate that you're gonna be behind and then get out there because President Trump, love him or hate him, he spoke to a group of Americans who had felt disenfranchised, people who had never voted for him. They may have had opinions, but they never bothered to register, they never bothered to vote. I think we're a healthier democracy when everybody participates, not when forty percent of the people sit on the couch. Is he so going I'm to serious seek serious is he type. going
0: to seek the Republican nomination in 2024? And if he does, what would you say to those who oppose it? My my boyhood friend and former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, mm-hmm. thinks that he has feet in both camps, the pro-Trump camp and the I don't want to say anti, the not pro-Trump camp of the Republican Party, and he thinks he can be the the nominee. What would you say to him if Chris were right here?
1: Wait, wait, Chris thinks that he, Chris, could be the nominee, or that that, that Donald Trump could be the nominee again?
0: Now, KT, we're talking about Chris Christie. Chris (laughs) Christie. We're not talking about Mother Teresa Chris Chris thinks that Chris Will be the nominee Even if he has to go toe to toe With Donald J. Trump If Chris were here on this broadcast With us, what would you uh, Backbone of the mainstream Northeast Republican Party Say to him
1: I would say Chris What are you going to do about getting the House and the Senate back in 2022 Where are you campaigning I don't care about you, Chris Christie. I care about the party. I care about the policies. I don't, I mean, I think that 24 takes care of itself because who shows up in 22 to go around the country doing the tough stuff of of seeing groups of people? Let me just jump and tell you why I'm concluding this Go ahead. So during the, at the beginning of lockdown. My husband and I were from New York. We went to Florida, Sarasota, Florida, where a daughter, Fiona, whom you've met, had her first baby. So we went for five days, the obligatory grandparent visit. We stayed five months because of lockdown. We were like the in-laws from wow. hell. And so as that time went on, my daughter was campaigning for the house of representatives for the Florida state house. And it was during COVID. It was during lockdown. I babysat. My husband got in the car. Alan got in the car and drove Fiona around because you couldn't do normal campaigning. Right. You couldn't go to groups of 100 or two 200. And you, you had to do it singly or or you didn't campaign at all. So my daughter, Naval veteran, Naval Academy graduate, superstar, everything that she's done, she's done brilliantly. But she knocked on every door in her district. She knocked on 30,000 doors. Did she and win? She, won, she took a Democrat district, she flipped it Republican, and she won by 10 points. Okay, That no, example to me is, that's what Republicans have to do. And okay. she ran on the principles, you know, good, uh, strong economy, pro-business, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. low taxes, strong foreign policy. If Republicans make the effort, and that doesn't mean buy a bunch of campaign commercials and do a bunch of flyers. That means getting the hard work, going to county after county all across the country and making the case Directly to the American people, then I think we take the House and the Senate in 22. 24 takes care of itself. But I don't want to see presidential candidates who think they're going to go on a couple of talk shows, get a, raise a lot of money, have a lot of campaign commercials, and somehow they're going to be anointed. I want to see somebody who's going to do what my daughter did. All right, Chris Christie, are there.
0: you listening? No, he's not here.
1: <laughs> Anybody who wants to run, get out there and sell I,
0: the I think he's the only one, and I say this because I. Live in New Jersey, and I have so many friends in the Republican Party. I think he's the only one who's telling friends and confidants that he is going yeah. to run. Now, I don't know if he still has his gig on ABC News because I've seen him on Fox, and you're not supposed to be on both, but whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah we know that. Um,
0: uh, he, he, he's telling the people that begged him to run in 2012 yeah. when he turned them down that he's now ready to do it. These are, I don't want to mention their names, but they are very substantial money people in the Republican mm-hmm. Party that you and I know. Who, if they like Chris, could easily fund a very, very expensive, probably billion, billion dollar series mm-hmm. of uh, primary uh, elections throughout the country. But I want to ask some specific questions. Uh, about three or four weeks ago, When Chuck Schumer wanted to uh, borrow another trillion dollars, the Republican, right, I raised my eyes to Listen, I'm an old fashioned, as you know, libertarian who believes that you you shouldn't spend money that you don't
1: have. Right,
0: Republicans said no. When George Bush was in the White House, they said yes to 2 trillion. So are they just naysayers because they want to frustrate Joe Biden? Or is there suddenly some urge amongst Republicans uh, to become fiscal conservatives. They haven't been fiscal conservatives since George W. Uh, was in the White House.
1: Look, I, I can't speak for anybody else. I- I'm a tightwad, and I believe, like you, that you don't live beyond well, your you means. You
0: picked up the tab at our dinners many times. In fact, you've taken <laughs> me to dinner where I can't pay that lo- lovely club of yours on the Upper East Side. <laughs>
1: All right, right, but I must say, I milked you for every bit of information I could get. And 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 you got it. All right, so
0: you're a tight one. But what do you say to these Republicans who
1: are not tight ones? Just everybody get on the same page. Whether I'm not going to judge them, they judge themselves. But no, I think that Republicans shouldn't endorse Democrat spending. I don't think anybody should endorse this kind of Lollapalooza spending. And I think Republicans were wrong when they were expanding government. You know, I'm a Reagan Republican, and Reagan shrunk the size of government well at least shrunk the size of the growth of government yes. and i think one of the biggest threat is not only how much we're borrowing and the fact that we're borrowing a good bit of our foreign borrowing is to china was does not have our best interests at heart but what it's going to do is bankrupt the united states to the point where investment can't happen and the only way the united states remains a dominant sort of world leader is is if we invest in technology and if we're busy paying off debts for money we don't need. You know, we're, we're, what we're doing now and what I think we did in the Bush administration, we're, we're spending money we don't have on stuff we don't need and we're borrowing from countries that don't okay. like it. All
0: right, you and I are on the same page on that. However, when President Trump was in the White House, He's he floated time. the idea of a trillion dollar infrastructure bill to repave highways and bridges and airports and railroads and all that. It's virtually the same a trillion dollar proposal that is now bipartisan, that uh, both houses are interested in, except the progressives obviously want another three and a half trillion on top of it. But just that trillion dollar infrastructure package, none of which is authorized by the Constitution, now has Republican support. Does it have KT McFarland support? Because every nickel of that trillion has to be borrowed.
1: has to be borrowed. Okay, I would look at it. I'm not... I believe in infrastructure investment. I believe in technology investment. I would look at it in a slightly different way. Um, I'm more familiar with the Defense Department budget. And people always like to say, well, you're soft on defense if you don't want to reach this dollar level. I'm saying, I'm happy with this dollar level. I might even be happy with this dollar level, but I want to spend it really differently. And so when people say, oh, the trillion dollar infrastructure, is it really for infrastructure? I mean, is, is it really to... Um, have communications infrastructure 5g network is it really for better roads and bridges and all that stuff is it really for technology investment which I would consider infrastructure investment you know communications investment technology if it's for that kind of stuff which is a force multiplier which as the defense department spending goes we always used to calculate if you spend a dollar for defense, how much more comes back in technology or investment that the private sector could then pick up. And usually the multiplier is not, you know, is a significant multiplier. You put, spend a dollar for defense spending in, um, in creating some new technology like Teflon or right, right, um, right. Velcro was a famous space program side effect or the internet. All that stuff was defense dollars. That we spent, but look what we got back as a result of that. So when I look at national spending, I'm not just looking at it dollar for dollar. I'm looking at qualitatively, where are you going to spend that money? If you're just going to spend that money and throw it away at a bridge to nowhere, you better believe I'm not for it. At the same time, if we're going to spend a trillion dollars, I'd like to see us cut a trillion dollars out of someplace else. Again, for stuff we don't need, all we're doing, the politicians do, and you and I know this, that they, they, they get programs that they spend so that they can get reelected. So they're of course, taking of your course. money, borrowing the rest of it from China and other places to buy stuff nobody really needs in order to get people who don't deserve it permanent employment.
0: You know, there's a there's a way of interpreting legislation called legislative history in which judges look at what legislators said about the legislation at the time they voted for it. The late, great Antonin Scalia often said, I don't care about legislative history, and I don't care what they said about why they voted for it. There's only one reason they vote for everything, and that's to get reelected. It doesn't matter what they say. So a, a, a point to underscore yours. Switching gears to your bailiwick. Uh, we're speaking on the day after Colin Powell died. Mm-hmm. Um a great human being in American history. I didn't agree Mm -hmm. with him on politics, but a man of moral character, uh, courage, um, and a trailbreaker. He's the only other Republican in the military side of things that I know of besides you, who thinks the defense budget is bloated and argued that the offense is wasting too much money. I have friends who graduated from West Point who are now done their time in the military and they're now business people who rant and rave and rail about wastage uh, in the military, that they could find, you know, $100 billion uh, to save. But mm-hmm. it would never be popular because they would be tarred and tarnished as not being defense hawks but being defense softies. You have managed to be both intellectually honest in your attitude about defense spending but not lose your image as a defense hawk. Am I
1: Right. I don't know about my image. I will let other people judge that. All right. But but yeah. I but I'll take the point. I mean, this is, so for example, if I look at Afghanistan, yeah. And what really rips me is that those same generals, for twenty years, those guys were trotting up to Capitol Hill, and they said, "Oh, we just need a few billion more, right. a few more months." And every
0: time they asked for it, they got it.
1: They got it. They got asked for every time they asked for it, they got it. And they knew we were never going to win that conflict. They knew it was a loser. What were they doing? They were just. I guess wanted another star on their shoulder, and at yeah. the end of it, they retire, big happy retirement party, and then they go become defense lobbyists. I think that is the is the ultimate, as Eisenhower warned, at the defense industrial complex.
0: All right, I want to segue into a defense issue before we leave, because I know you are a student of China,
1: hmm. but
0: China's run by probably the most dangerous person since Mao Zedong ran the government, Agreed. President Xi. If we wake up some morning and find out that President Xi has surrounded Taiwan with military equipment and is about to launch uh, jets over Taiwan, what do we do? Do we honor our commitment and defend Taiwan militarily or is it not Mm. worth it, KT?
1: See, I guess I come down on it. You know, a smart person solves problems, a wise person prevents them from happening in the first place. And what I would do is I don't want that morning to wake up because there are no good solutions there. But what I want to do is in advance of that morning, I want to do a bunch of things. Um, I want to make sure that we've strengthened an alliance with Japan, India, Korea, Australia, the countries in that part of the world who are the most direct impact on it. I also probably want to sell defense equipment to Taiwan. Let Taiwan defend itself by itself. I also want to make sure that the supply chain which chi- china could threaten by surrounding taiwan and by you know supply chain shortages directed at the united states i mean microprocessors for example semiconductors Ch- taiwan is that produces more semiconductors which is essential ingredient in modern technology right, right, right. Um, and and so one of the things that china wants taiwan for among sort of national pride and and, and as a military positioning for the South China Seas, they want the, they want to get their hands on the semiconductors.
0: Would you send troops, American troops, to Taiwan? I
1: don't think it would ever end up that way. I mean, I, I can't tell you because I don't, you know, tell me how it's going to play out. I think what Taiwan, what happens with Taiwan, if everything goes as it's currently going, is that China gets through its Beijing Olympics. It gets through its next party conference where they'll, go, they'll elect Xi Jinping president for life. And then I think China makes a move. Now, I don't think it's, like you're saying, I don't think it's going to be an invasion of Taiwan. China's too smart for that. They'll do it very differently. They might do economic warfare to Taiwan, or they might right. they might do a supply chain interruption for the United States. They'll play economic warfare, and they'll play technology, potentially even cyber warfare. So I don't think that means we send in the troops. I think what that means is we play smart too, and we deal with our supply chain vulnerabilities, We go to the allies in the region who are most affected not only by China's expansionism, but by the acquisition of Taiwan, because the China's objective in part by by having Taiwan be a part of China is to then take the South China sea, which is the world's most important maritime trade route, all the trade that goes from the Middle East and Europe to Asia, all of Asia, all the the trade that goes to the United States back and forth to Asia goes through that South China sea. And the Chinese think if they have Taiwan, then they control who enters that South China Sea and and under what circumstances. I don't want that to happen. But again, I'm gonna play this much smarter than boots on the ground. So I don't think it's a choice. Do we not defend Taiwan? Do we leave Taiwan to itself or do we send in the Marines? I mean, sending in the Marines hasn't seemed to work real well in Vietnam, Afghanistan or Iraq. So I want to play this much smarter. And I want to do the way Reagan won the Cold War. You know, the way we won the Cold War was we mashed the Soviet Union. So we had a, a superiority, but not a huge one militarily. And so that kind of neutralized itself. And then we fought them with economic warfare and technological warfare, which were our strategic advantages. And that's how we defeated the Soviet Union. That's how I want to deal with China.
0: When are we going to have lunch again at that fancy club?
1: <laughs> I'm going to go to your fancy club, Judge. All right. You're going to K- pick up that.
0: KT, it's a pleasure. I hope you'll come back uh, and join us again. An absolute delight. We've been talking for 23 and a half minutes. It seems like it was two minutes. Thanks a million.
1: We'll do it again. Thank you, Judge.
0: And thank you, my friends, uh, for watching and listening to another show of Judging Freedom. Until the next
1: time.